turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, starting at verse 73. Psalm 119, starting at verse 73. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort, according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May my heart be blameless toward your decrees, that I may not be put to shame. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. So I think most of you, uh, and if you don't know this, you should, most of you know that Valentine's Day is coming up, and uh, it's the pressure on people to buy and do and say something that would normally not be a part of your daily activities. Uh, Valentine's Day is a good thing in terms of not taking each other for granted, but it can really be a bad thing if it ever goes sideways, right? Um, And and guys, one of the things I've learned, never buy your wife anything from the hardware store or the gas station. Uh, It's just not going to go over. But, you know, we try hard on Valentine's Day, and I know I've told some of you this story before, but it's, it's too, too good to be, be left alone again. So there was this little girl who went to Sunday school, and she learned a new word, and she thought, hey, that's a really cool world, uh, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up. And so uh, she made a card, and here it is. Now, if you use big words, 
I mean, they can be really powerful if you use the words well. But if you use words, um, if you don't use words well, they can really turn into something bad. King Saul got angry with his son Jonathan, and, and this is what he said, and he said something nasty about his wife. And uh, so we don't want to have anybody do this to their children, you know, that you're, you're a child of a perverse and rebellious woman. So I thought rather than having guys put their foot in their mouth and, and then taking it out and putting the other foot in, I thought I would teach you some new words this morning, and, and not just for guys, but ladies, you can use these words as well. So here's a word list. Um, you can use the word forsooth. Uh, it means indeed. And then there's the word indubitable, which means that something is certainly true and without doubt. And then you can use the word veritable, which means truly or very much so. And then you can describe your wife as being pulchritudinous. Uh, And and contrary to what that word may sound like, um, you know, it means that that someone is physically beautiful or, or comely. And, and you want to use that. So, so guys, if you're going to write a Valentine's card and use big words, here's what it's going to look like. Forsooth thou indubitably... I can't even say it. <laughs> indubitably art a veritable, pulchritudinous woman. <laughs> Let me know how that works for you, by the way. No, I got, I got it from, from the Comice uh, lectionary or whatever you want to <laughs> It's all my own. Wow, yeah. It hasn't worked for me yet, so don't, don't bother. But Kathy, though, indubitably art a veritable pulchritudinous woman. So Now can I buy that new thing that I want so bad? I haven't told her what it is yet. But. <laughs> All right. Big words about Valentine's. But I want to talk to you a little bit. We're going to use some big words this morning and big words about God. Let's show them up there, Ansem. Some big words about God. And in the Bible reading that we've been doing, if, if you're working through this Read the Bible for Life program, and if you're not, please start and and read with us. But we want to talk about these four words this morning. The fact that God is omnipresent, that God is omniscient, that God is omnipotent, and that God is immutable. And I want to unpack some of those words for you this morning. So let's just leave that slide up there, Anson. And if you would take your Bibles or your devices and turn with me to Job chapter 38, we'll read that in just a little bit. But most of us are familiar with the story of Job, even if we haven't done the reading uh, this, this past week or two. But Job's problem was that he didn't have chapters 1 and 2. We have chapters 1 and 2. We know about this conversation between God and Satan. We know that God was in control of, of this entire thing. All Job knew was that his life turned into total disaster. He lost his possessions, he lost his family, he lost his status, he lost his health and his will to live. Job's wife suggested that he curse God and die, and his friends, in trying to be helpful, told him that it was all his fault in the first place. 
And so Job, all Job knew was his life turned into a total disaster, and he asked himself the question like many of us do when our lives come undone, why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? And, and he, he was perplexed. And basically what Job said was, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And he was right. He hadn't. It was not his fault. His three friends or four friends came along and said to him, Job, you must have done something dumb. Like God punishes dumb people. You're being punished, therefore you must be dumb. You must have done something wrong somewhere along the line. And the answer to your problem is that you should repent and that you should ask God to forgive you and then everything will be better again. And Job said, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And because he hadn't done anything to deserve this, Job said, I wish God were a man that he would stand before me and I would demand an explanation from God. God owes me an explanation. That's Job's stories. You and I have stories of our own. And if we were all to tell our stories here this morning... I'm sure we could be here for a long time. Some of you have suffered abuse at the hands of other people, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Some of you have suffered pain. Some of you have been neglected. Some of you have been abandoned somewhere along the line by a natural parent or other parents or whatever, by friends. You've suffered disappointment. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have faced baseless accusations. Some of you have been fired or lost your jobs for no reason or another. Some of us have suffered financial loss. There have been family issues where people don't talk to each other. Families have become fractured. There are divisions. There's health problems. There's bereavement. There's depressions. There's learning disabilities. There's bullying. We've all got stories to tell. And the common questions that we usually ask are these. Why? What have I done to deserve this? Why me? Like, why is this happening to me? I haven't done anything to deserve this. And usually when we attempt to explain to someone else as to why they're going through hard times is when we get into trouble. And the reason we get into trouble is because we guess. We don't know. Although sometimes, you know, people, people complain that their life stinks and the reason your life stinks is because you've made dumb decisions. That's true. But we ask ourselves, why? Why am I sick? Why did I get cancer? Why did my child die? Why did my husband leave me? Why did, why did this happen? And we often don't have answers for that. And that was Job's question. Why? God owes me. God, you need to come down here and explain this to me because you have no reason for doing this to me and I demand to know why you are doing this to me. You have no justification in doing so. And so finally, after all this frustration, after all these conversations between Job and his friends, there's a storm. And chapter 38 of the book of Job says that God spoke out of the storm. Now, God never gives Job a reason. God never explains to Job. Job, I don't think, ever got to see chapters 1 and 2 of this book. 
But here's God's answer. And I know it's 40 some odd verses, but we're going to read it because God's words are better than mine. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther? This is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from heavens? when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clouds of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? If you had been prone to complaining, which none of us here are, if you had been prone to complaining and God bombarded you with this list of questions, would you, what would you do? Would you stand up, you know, yeah, but I don't think so. God never gives Job a reason. 
but he gives Job a glimpse of who he is. God spoke out of the storm, the Lord, Yahweh, the I Am, the self-existent one, the Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. Job's concept of God was way too small because Job thought was that God was just a little bit bigger than he was. No idea of who God really was. And so Job's response to all this after being bombarded with chapters of, of questions, Job's response to that was, uh, you'll find it in chapter 42, and we'll go back there a little bit in verse 3. Job said, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job said in verse 5, My eyes had hear, heard of, my ears rather, had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job's vision of who God was was way too small. God is omnipresent. When I got to Israel, one of the things that was said, one of the first things that I heard was that from our tour guide was that you can talk to God from anywhere in the world, but in Israel it's a local call. That's wrong. If you read through scriptures, you discover that God is equally present at the same time everywhere. He's not. When Elijah uh, confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Elijah was teasing them and said, you know, you need to call your God. Maybe he's traveling or maybe he's asleep or God is not like that. If you read Psalm 139, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I travel to the far side of the sea, you are there. Even the darkness won't hide me. God is everywhere present at the same time. Even Satan can only be at one place at one time. When Satan appeared before God, God said to Satan, where have you been? He said, I've been walking back and forth in the earth. He can only be in one place at one time. Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. God is omnipresent. And God's presence is as real in the midst of my darkest times as it is when the sun shines and life smiles. And even though it doesn't feel that way, it does not change the reality. Go back to chapter 38 and verses 16 to 18. God says to Job, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked into recesses of the deep? We haven't even been there yet. Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Not just physical presence. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? God is there. He is omnipresent. When God is as much present in this building here today as he is over at the Alliance Church and the Apostolic Church and with Melita in Zimbabwe and, and, and in Vietnam and, and in Quebec and everywhere else. God is equally present everywhere. He's here. And no matter where I go, no matter what I do, God is there. No matter what circumstances I find myself, and I know one of the questions people often ask myself, where was God when I was going through these hard times when my life was coming totally undone? 
I thought God was supposed to protect me, but God is there. And God was there when Satan was tearing Job's life apart. God is there. He's omnipresent. God is omniscient. It means that he is all-knowing. Kathy and I, a couple of weeks ago, were at a pastor's and wives' retreat down in the Regina area. And one of the things that, that often happens at that retreat, somebody brings a puzzle along. Now, now, my wife likes to do puzzles. They drive me to endless frustration. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever put together, I have a brother-in-law, there's, there's some, something went hinky when God made him because he likes 5,000-piece puzzles. Like, ugh. Anyway. But you know what? It's really hard to put a puzzle together if you don't have the box with the picture. Right? And it's even harder if all you have is a handful of pieces out of a 5,000-piece puzzle. How are you going to put that together? How are you going to make sense of that? And, and our lives are like that. And, and we try, we see, we have a, a handful of pieces of a huge puzzle in our hands, and we say, <clears throat> i got to try and make sense of this. And in the meantime, God has given other pieces of the puzzle to, to somebody else, and he's overseeing the whole things. He knows what it's going to look like. He's got the big picture. He's got the box with the picture on it, and he knows what it's going to look like when it's done. But all I have is a handful of pieces that probably don't even fit, and I don't have the picture, and I don't understand, and then I try and explain what God is up to, and I haven't a clue. And so I have to resign myself to the fact that God is omniscient, that he knows everything. In Job 38, verse 19, God said to Job, What is the way to the abode of light? Where does darkness dwell? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths through their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. Verse 22, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble in days of, of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is the spirit? God knows all that stuff, and we don't. So what does that mean for me? How does that work for me? Because God knows, and I don't know, my only response I can say to that, God, you know way more than I do, and so I'm just going to leave that in your hands. I don't understand. I may not agree with what you're doing, but you're the one who knows way more than I do. You're the one who knows absolutely everything. And I know, faith says, I can trust you. Faith says, I know that you're putting this puzzle together. I haven't a clue what the picture's going to look like. I haven't a clue what you're intending to do, but I trust you to know what you're doing. And so whatever you're doing is okay with me. That's a good place to be because it means I don't have to worry. It means I don't have to fret. It means I don't have to think about things a whole lot. You see, God has a plan. Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book 
before one of them came to be. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for you. God knows what the puzzle is going to look like. We know the kind of the big picture because the Bible tells us in Romans 8 verse 29 that God's goal for my life, your life, is to conform us to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's going to look differently for you than it is for me. But God is omniscient. God knows absolutely everything. We know what his plan is. We've read the end of the book. We know what Revelation says. We know how it's going to end up. If you did your Bible reading this week, you got started in, in the story of Exodus. You know, what was God thinking? Why were the Egyptians, you know, you read in Exodus 1 that another king came to power who didn't know Joseph, and, and so they started oppressing the Israelites, and there was this terrible persecution and this terrible time where Moses was born, and, and the midwives were commanded to kill all the boy babies, which they didn't do, but there was all this persecution, and, 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 and what was God thinking? Like, didn't God bring Joseph down there? Didn't God say to Abraham, you're going to have this land, and then they had to move out of there, and then all the rest of this came back, and we had to go through that exodus and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Didn't God know all that? Yeah, he did. He had a plan because in Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abram, you, you know, in generations, your people are going to come back to this land because God said, I have a plan for the people who are living in this land and you're part of that plan. And so the people who were in Israel under, undergoing all this terrible persecutions, making bricks without straw and all the rest of that, they, they didn't know what God's plan was. But God had a plan. He had a purpose. He saw the big picture. And when it comes to submitting to God, I think you and I need to be extremely careful about insisting on our own will because that means we are setting ourselves up over God. And some people will criticize other people for praying about God's will to be done rather than our own. But even Jesus did that. And if we cannot accept God's will, then you and I have a huge problem, do we not? read a story this week about a lady who said, God, if you don't give me what I want, I will never speak to you again. Dangerous territory. Even Jesus said, look, Father, I'd rather not do this, but if this is what you want, if you and your wisdom have decided that this is to be the course of action, then it's fine with me. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. He's the El Shaddai. And God confronted Job. God said to Job, Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Job, you really think that you're big enough and strong enough to correct me? To tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? In Isaiah chapter 10, God says to the Assyrians, does the axe raise itself above him who swings it or the saw boast against him who uses it? God is all-powerful. And, 
in verses 31 to 38 of the chapter we read, God says, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? He's talking about the constellations. Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? We know the laws of the heavens. We figure them out. That's how we got to the moon. We know the laws of physics and of gravity, but God is the one who put those laws in place. He's the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one. In Daniel, we read the words that he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. Daniel 4, verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar, the Most High, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And I think our response to that, when we are confronted with the all-powerful one, I remember many, many years ago, we were, we were dealing with, with some demonic stuff. And, and one of the manifestations that we got, one of the threats that I received through a person was this. You have no idea who you're dealing with. And I didn't. But I know that the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. But when we come before God Almighty, sometimes... We have no idea who we're dealing with. And when we confront the omnipotent, the almighty one, our response should be to get down on our hands and knees or flat on the floor with our face on the carpet and say, Lord, I submit. You can do whatever you want because you are the omnipotent one. You are Lord God Almighty. And there are times that you and I need to keep silent. It's an old song. I don't know if we've ever sung it here, but Kathy and I used to sing it when we were young people. It was one of the songs we sang in our choir, but it starts out like this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. There are times when we simply stop talking. Your God, I submit, I worship, I recognize who you are. And God is immutable. He is changeless. In Malachi 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And in Psalm 102, we read the words, they, talking about creation, they will perish, but you remain the same. The God who was involved in Job's life probably somewhere around 4,000 years ago is the same God who is involved in our lives today. He's the same God who has the program of this world, the program of this universe firmly under his control because, excuse me, he is the omnipotent one. He can do what he wants and his will will be done whether or not mankind can rail against it all we want, but his will will be done because he is the omnipotent one. He knows what is best. He is omniscient. He knows what's going on in my life. And, and he is the one who is omnipresent, everywhere equal, 
equally present all at the same time, whether in my darkest hour or whether the sun is shining and my life is smiling. So what do we do? Job, after God confronted him, God never explained himself to Job. God never said to Job, uh, here is why I did this to you, uh, and I have a right to do this. God simply said, I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of who I am. Because, Job, your vision of me, your concept of me is way too small. And so for four chapters, God blows Job out of the water. And at the end of it, Job says these words, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. He is the omnipotent one. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. And if Job needed to repent in dust and ashes, maybe you and I need to go there as well sometime. What about those of us who have been guilty of giving futile explanations and wrong advice? God said to those three friends, In verse 7 of chapter 42, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Job was right. He didn't do anything wrong. But he said to those three friends, you were wrong. You were wrong about me. You, you misrepresented me to Job. You were totally, completely wrong. You missed it altogether. And so God says, I want you to go back to Job. And basically, he said, go back and, and, and bring a sacrifice and get Job to pray for you. So you're going to have to go back to Job and admit that you were dumb, that you, that you said wrong things, that you were wrong. And they did. He said, my servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Verse 9, so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Naamathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And you know the rest of the story, how God blessed Job more than he ever had before, and God restored absolutely everything. But when you and I go through these hard times, we demand an explanation. We want to know why. God said, you don't need to know why. You simply need to trust me, to keep walking with me. Trust me that I know what I'm doing, and I will work things out. I have the big picture. I have the puzzle. I have all things under my control. No matter what you go through, I will be there. In the darkness, in the daylight, in your good times, in your hard times, I will be there. I will carry you. I am the one who has all the knowledge. I know what I'm doing. I am the one who has all the power. I can save you. I can rescue you. It's going to come out okay. I know what the end of the book is going to look like, and you're going to be in heaven with me. It's going to be okay, and I do not change, so you don't have to worry about that. And there are times that you and I need to simply get down on our knees or on our face on the ground and say, Lord, I submit. I'm done.
There's a song we sing sometimes, I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. Isn't that good enough? I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at his right hand stands one who is my Savior. My Savior loves, my Savior lives. My Savior's always there for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glimpse of who you are. Lord, there are times that we speak of things we do not know. There are times that we speak presumptuously, that we offer explanations, that we offer advice that is wrong. And there are times that we simply need to despise ourselves and to repent in dust and ashes and to let you be God. Father, these are big words, but they lead to a big faith. And I pray that you would give us the faith to put these words into action, that even though we're not skilled to understand what you have willed, what, God had, what you have planned, but Lord, we know at your right hand stands one who is our Savior. We trust you, we submit to you, and we bow in silence before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, big stuff. May God bless us as uh, we learn to know him better. We're dismissed.